It's time to dig in and discuss the questions on the minds of today's leaders. You are listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. This is where we get vulnerable, raw, and authentic about the stuff that really matters. Now, here is your host, Kathleen Reeson. Hello, and welcome to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. And today, we're talking all about how do you lead a disruption in the marketplace? What does it take to lead a disruption in the marketplace? Now, I don't know about you, but if I had a penny, not a dime, not a quarter, not a dollar, but a penny for every time I've heard the words, well, since we're leading in such an uncertain time. And think about that. If I had a penny for every time I've heard the word uncertain in the past three months, or even three days, I would be a very rich woman. Because people keep using that term. And here's what's so interesting about it. Is that two years ago, that term really got put into our vocabulary on a daily basis, on a minute by minute basis. Because when the pandemic started, truly, we didn't know what was happening from one moment to the next. And as leaders, we got to Use, I'm going to use this other word that you've probably heard a lot, pivot. We got to pivot. We got to change based on the scenarios that were put in us in that moment. And now here we are, fast forward over two years later, and now we're in this point where people keep saying in these uncertain times. But here's the deal. I looked at some strategy guidance, stuff that like books that I still had from college. So this is, you know, I'd love to say I just went to college a few years ago, but no, it's, it's been a while. I looked at these books and I said, geez, I wonder if how we're teaching strategy has really changed because of the circumstances of the last few years. And the reality is no, because we've always lived in an uncertain time. We've never, like uncertainty is something that we've always had. It's just that it got brought to the forefront and the circumstances that are around us, the changes, the, the need for moving our companies or moving ourselves or moving our jobs, whatever it is that we want to say, the circumstances that are in front of us are coming at such a fast pace. That's what's changed. So our need, our desire to move within those changes is greater. So it's not that strategy has changed. I had a, somebody ask me a few years ago, this is when I was running my advertising agency. They said, do you think that tactics, so advertising and marketing tactics, that they've really changed or that strategy has changed? So same basic question. It took me a little bit to answer this. And I really thought about it and said, again, strategy hasn't changed. Now, the mechanisms of how we would fulfill that strategy, that's absolutely changed. But when you actually look at strategy, which if we define strategy, it is how we're going to move forward. That hasn't changed, but the mechanisms, meaning the ways that we might do it, that is what's changed. And that's determined by the marketplace. So there's different kinds of strategy that you can use. There's very focused strategy or there's bigger picture strategy. Bigger picture meaning I'm gonna change the whole face of the market versus I'm gonna change my position within the market. So these bigger picture strategy, I think that's where, we see, especially over the last years, we've seen less people say, I'm going to change the entire market. They're just saying, I'm, I'm going to figure out how I can play in this market so that I don't become irrelevant. So we're using different pieces of our strategy, different, different ways to roll out strategy. But I don't believe that strategy in and of itself has changed. 
I read this article from 2008 that was talking about different strategy and it's exactly what I see companies using today. Now I had a friend that said the other day, he's standing up on this big stage and he says, any art or any uh, survey, quiz, anything that was gathering data before 2020, all of that data is irrelevant to the world we live in now. And I, I totally agree with that. But the reason I agree with that is because, again, the data is indicative of the circumstances. And our circumstances have significantly changed. But our strategy hasn't. And so what we're talking about today, what it takes to lead a disruption in the marketplace, I don't believe that inherently what it takes to lead a disruption in the marketplace is actually different from a strategy perspective than it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago. But the mechanisms, the, the ways that will actually execute it, those have changed dramatically. And I don't believe that COVID is the reason for that. I believe that the growth and the pace of our market, how we go to business, has changed so quickly. Now, look at this. This is the perfect example. If you look 10 years ago, how we consume media. I, mean, I remember sitting on my couch. This is probably 20 years ago. I'm sitting on my couch with my husband. We both have our big laptops open. And we said, hey, you know what? I read this article. So I say to my husband, I read this article and it said that in a few years, we would be sitting with our phones. Now, at the time we had these flip phones, we're going to be sitting with our phones at the couch. We won't even be watching the TV, but we'll be interacting via our phones. We both kind of snickered because at the time we have the TV on. Now you have commercial breaks during TV if you want to catch Live TiVo wasn't even a thing then. So if you want to catch a live showing of a TV, you're either going to record it on your VHS or you're going to watch it live. But we have our big chunky laptops open and our flip phones pretty much do nothing but text. There was one little word game. It was just one game that you could get on your phone. And that was about it. A call. I mean, that, that was the basic principles of a phone. And so Think about how much we have changed since then. That's 20 years ago. And now today, pretty much everything can be done with our phones. Now think about media consumption. So yet now VHS, my kids don't even know what a VHS is. I mean, they've seen them before, but they don't have them at home. They, grandpa has a VHS player and some VHSs. And when they were little, they watched them. But even now, they have no interest in that. They don't even watch the DVDs. In my car, I have a DVD player. Uh, it's a Blu-ray player because even DVDs are gone by the wayside. But I have a Blu-ray player. And the Blu-ray player, we have some Blu-rays that when we're on vacations, we're going on long trips, we can put those into my car. But now we were looking at another car and they don't even have screens in the car that was a requirement for my children just a few years ago, but now they've got their iPads, they have their own phones, they've got a switch. They don't even want to consume this, this entertainment through a DVD or a Blu-ray. They want to consume it, consume it individually in their hands. So that's changed. Now let's look at, we've got, so cable, like 10 years ago, cable was a really big deal. But then what happened? We all said, mm, I don't want to pay for 100 channels or 50 channels. I really just want the channels that I want to watch. Now, I remember somebody saying to me a while ago, I mean, years ago, they said, there'll be a time where you'll pick the shows you want to watch. They won't be dictated to you based on what's on the schedule. You'll actually pick them. 
And we are at that point today. I pick the shows that I want to watch on Netflix or on Prime Video or on Disney Plus. Insert your streaming service. So what happens is we went from cable to having a streaming service. But now look at what's happening. The average person has over seven different streaming services. And so now you hear people saying, oh, I have all these different streaming services. And yes, they're seven to $10 each, but wouldn't it be great if they were all just bundled so that I didn't have to buy seven different streaming services? Huh, you mean like cable? Isn't it funny how that works? Isn't that funny how that works? So it'll be really interesting to see the landscape of how media is consumed over the next few years. Now let's look specifically at a company. So there was Blockbuster. Now, if you followed the Blockbuster story, there's one Blockbuster left in the world. One. That's a pretty cool experience. It's really there for nostalgia. You can go there and I, you can spend the night, but it's really about nostalgia, not renting videos because they really were big on renting VHS tapes. And as we just talked about, those became irrelevant. Then they were big on DVDs and Blu-rays. Well, as we talked about, those are becoming irrelevant. So Blockbuster went by the wayside. But then this little company, maybe you've heard of them, called Netflix came out. And they said, hey, you don't, have to go to, you don't have to go to Blockbuster. We'll actually just send you DVDs. You request the ones you want, and we'll send them in the mail. And people thought that was brilliant. I don't have to go wait and hope that they have it at Blockbuster. I don't have to go. Now, if you remember Blockbuster or Famous Video or any of the video, different video spots, you would go into the store and there would be a copy, uh, like a hard uh, box that the video would slick the sleeve. That's the word I'm looking for. The sleeve of the video would be sitting on the shelf. And then behind it, there might be a copy or two or three copies of the video if they were available. But if it was a new release, you may not get a copy of it. And then you had to wait until it was in. Wait till somebody returned it. And oh my gosh, if you got somebody to return it, but they didn't rewind it before, that was a pain in the butt. Then we went to DVDs and same thing. You had to wait for it to come back. Well, Redbox comes out once Netflix comes out and says, I'll send you these DVDs in the mail. So then Redbox, which I now heard is like a blue box sometimes, they come out and say, hey, I'll just put it in a box. You can go to your local grocery store or McDonald's and there's this red box where you can go pick the, the DVD. So all they did was staff, they just put this box with a bunch of the new release DVDs available. But the challenge was if I rented it at one red box, I could take it back to another red box. And so inventory became an issue. So red box, while it wanted to be a player in the market, it really wasn't. It's, it sustained itself, but it never took really, it never got a lot of traction because it didn't have consistent inventory. And so I might have to drive all over town to get the movie that I wanted. And I just didn't want to do that. But Netflix arrives to my house. So if I was willing to wait a day or two for the mail, then I could get it to my house. And then I could pick the movies that I wanted for the next week or the next month. When I returned them, I got new ones. And I could pay based on how many I wanted to have at one time, kind of like a library system. So Netflix this worked really well. They became a disruptor in the marketplace. But then what happened? Then people said, well, I don't want these DVDs anymore. I want to be able to stream. And so Netflix, being on the forefront of this technology, decided, well, we can start the streaming revolution. And so they launched the streaming revolution. But they thought, oh, this is so cool. Now for you know, $7 or $6, it was so cheap when it first came out. It's still not bad when you think about all things considered that you get. But it was just 
to watch a, a few movies. So I could go into Netflix, like I could watch a few movies. Now, Netflix didn't have its own production studio at the time. Netflix wasn't buying the rights to a ton of new movies. It was just, just a selection of movies. And I could go in there and I could watch it. Now, what was so cool about that is nobody else was doing that. And so Netflix really had the top of the market. Now, here's the challenge. And this is what happens if you don't remain being the disruptor in the marketplace. Netflix lost its footing. If you've seen the news over the last three months, you've seen that Netflix is actually losing subscribers. Their base is decreasing. Why? Because other people have launched their services. Disney Plus came out. Amazon Prime said, well, we can do a video service. Hulu, you know, all these other streaming services came out. And Netflix says, well, what is our differentiating value now? So they think, they said, well, we're going to create all these movies. We'll create our own Netflix label, which was great, except production costs are outrageous on that. And they've got to figure out how to cover those costs. So guess what? The fees go up. And users are saying, no, I'll just go other places. That content's nice, but it's not enough for me. And now Netflix is left saying, how do I create a competitive advantage? And so you can see the evolution here of how we have to constantly say, what is it that our vision for the future looks like? How do we continue to be the disruptor in the marketplace? Because the second that we get content is when we start the spiral of death. Now, from a, from a business perspective, that's hard. That is challenging because you've constantly got to be in this period of uncertainty. And so when I say at the beginning of the show, when I said, if I had a penny for every time somebody said in these uncertain times, I'd be a rich woman. I say that because we've always been in uncertain times and we'll always be in uncertain times. And so the only thing that we can do is figure out how to lead during these uncertain times. And that's what the whole point of the show is today. So there is a four-step disruption process that I'm going to walk you through after this break. So we will know once you go through that four-step process, it makes it simple to say, okay, this is the strategy development behind disruption. Because if we're constantly in, in disruption, then we've got to put the strategy in place to be able to see that what that looks like so that we can continue to evolve and move. That's the focus of the next 15 minutes. So we're going to go on a quick break here. And when we get back, we'll cover those four steps. You're listening to the Kathleen Reeson show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. Talk to you in just a second. Are you enjoying the conversations on the Kathleen Reeson show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. Are you a subject matter expert? Are you here to share your expertise with an audience waiting to hear from you in only the way you can deliver? Are you ready to have your voice amplified across the airwaves? Inspired Choices Network has a global radio platform streaming to millions of people across the world. Professionally produced and supported by an accomplished team every step of the way, you can broadcast from anywhere in the world knowing your voice matters and we ensure it is delivered with ease and efficiency. Eager to hear your message, the world awaits. Contact us today to become an Inspired Choices Network radio host. Email becomeahost at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. 
Welcome back to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. Today, we've been talking all about how to lead in a disruptive market. So what does it mean to be a disruptive leader? It means that you are moving through significant amounts of change. That is not specific to the pandemic or the last few years, although I believe that those words have become commonplace over the last few years. But this is something that's been happening forever. We've been leading in disruptive markets forever because if you aren't leading, you are losing. If you aren't leading, you are losing. And so that's something to remember and be clear about. There are four steps to leading in a disruptive market. And we're going to talk through those four. The first one is crafting the vision, saying this is where we're headed. And it's using these two things, using intention focus, intention focus, and pain-based problem solving. Intention focused and pain-based problem solving. And what I mean by intention focused and pain-based problem solving can be demonstrated by something that Steve Jobs did wonderfully. Now, if you know Steve Jobs, you know what I'm talking about. So he was one of the founders of Apple. And what Steve Jobs said was that he, was, he used very intention focus, meaning that he was focused on where we're headed, not how we're getting there. Not how we're getting there, but how, where we're headed. So he says, I'm going to make technology so simple that even a baby can use it. That is intention focused. I'm going to make technology so simple that even a baby can use it. Now, when my children were little, they were able to use one of, there was this paint app that if they took their finger, they could move it around the screen and they could paint. They could also bump their finger up and down and fireworks would appear. They thought that was the coolest thing. And so back to Steve Jobs' vision, I'm going to make technology so simple that even a baby could use it. That's what happened. My kids thought it was so cool that when they tapped their finger, fireworks appeared. They would clap their hands and giggle. They were so excited. But that, my friends, is intention-based thinking when Steve Jobs said, I'm going to make the technology so simple that even a baby could use it. Now, oftentimes when we're setting strategy and we're crafting vision, we're getting very specific in how it would look. If Steve Jobs had, did that, had, had done that, he would have said something like, I'm going to create an iPad that can be used in your lap much like a computer, but it makes processing simpler because you don't have to plug it in with the longer battery life. And it has the essentials that you would need on your, on your laptop, but not everything. Now, if that's the vision, that's very specific. That's not disrupting a marketplace. That's saying I'm going to create a tool. So when we craft our vision, we want it to be intention focused. We want it to be thinking about how we can shift the disruption in the marketplace. Something like what Steve Jobs said with the intention focus, meaning I have no idea what tools we're going to bring in to do it. I just know that if we set the vision, we'll figure it out. And so this is a key piece, intention focused, meaning what is it that we're creating in the marketplace? What's the splash we're going to make? When Netflix came out with their mail-only DVDs, they didn't say, we're going to create mail-only DVDs. They said, we are going to bring entertainment to the hands of every consumer. We are going to make it easier 
for consumers to consume media. So intention-based thinking. So when you're crafting your vision, use intention focus. The other piece is pain-based selling, pain-based problem solving. Now, this is something that I actually see quite a bit, especially in the consulting and the coaching arena. When we talk about pain-based problem solving, we're saying we are creating this vision because we want to solve a very specific pain that exists now. Oftentimes what happens is that we use solution-based problem solving, meaning this is the solution and it looks so good, of course you want it. So for example, if I'm Steve Jobs and I'm selling the iPad as my vision, well, we're talking about, we've heard the problem that people don't want to haul around a laptop because they're giant. Now think back a few years, they're giant. So we're going to have something handy in your laps. Well, if that was his vision, he would have missed out on the iPhone because he was so focused on one piece and what could be done with the iPhone. Now, the iPhone came before the iPad, but in this case, if he was only focused on revolutionizing the iPad, he would have missed that people consume more data from their iPhone than they do from their iPad. So that's why we got to be really focused on where we want to be. So pain-based problem solving, meaning the real problem is that the way that we consume data is clunky. So it's not going to be the laptop, but I don't know what it is. But in pain-based, we're talking about the clunkiness of the laptop. In solution-based, we're talking about whatever it is that we're using to solve the problem. The challenge when we're crafting a vision and we want to articulate it, if we're talking about solution-based, we are so much further down the road than where our prospect is because our prospect is, they are interacting with the pain. They know the pain. They can't even see the solution yet. We have not created the road to the solution. So if we start talking about the solution, nobody's there to meet us. Nobody understands what we're saying because they're still stuck back at the pain. And so what I see happening, especially in professional services, especially in coaching and consulting, is we're out here talking about this fancy solution and how great it is, but people can't understand that because they don't understand the link between that solution and the problem. They only understand the problem. And so really being clear in our vision about problem-based. So when Steve Jobs said, we're going to create technology that's so simple that even a baby can use it, what he's saying is our technology is really complicated right now. Now, somebody that's like, oh my gosh, yes, is it complicated? That's their pain and he's speaking into it. He's not saying, I'm going to create an iPad that even a child can use. I'm not going to create an iPad that has fireworks that they can bounce up and down because at the time that seemed unimaginable but saying that you're going to create technology that was so simple that even a baby could use. Yeah, I'm bought in now. Now walk me down that path of what the solution is going to look like. But remember, when you're crafting your vision, you want to make it intention-focused and pain-based problem-solving because people meet at their pain. They cannot meet at the solution unless you create the road. So start at the pain, make it easier on yourself. So that is step one. Step two naturally rolls off step one. And it's getting the enrollment of your team and the people around you of your vision. Now, enrollment is not controlment. It's not because I say this is where we're going, that this is where we're going. But when you're leading in a disruptive market, remember, your team doesn't always see where you're headed. Your team is still back in the pain. And so at the end of the day, when you're leading in a disruptive market, your team may only be going with you 
because you said so. But the goal is that they get moving and that you constantly re-enroll them. So have you ever been in a situation where your team, you think that they're all on board with this idea, but then the first roadblock hits and they are telling you, I knew we should have done this. They've collected evidence now of why entering a new market or a new arena, new product, new service, why that's not a good idea. And you say, well, I thought we all agreed on this. That is a classic sign that they weren't really enrolled. They were just going with you because, well, you have the authority. And so they did. And so one of the things that we get to remember when we are leading in a disruptive market is that during step two, this process is a constant enrollment game. You've got to constantly re-enroll your team and get them excited about where you're heading. Because as you have experienced leading through a disruptive market is that people are on board in the beginning. But when it gets hard, they tend to jump off. And when it gets harder, they really tend to jump off. And when it gets even harder, even your loyalists are starting to question. Now, what happens when you start to question? That's, that's a big one. And it actually is hitting up against one of the main triggers, one of the main challenges of leading in a disruptive marketplace. And that is isolation and loneliness. Because when you're leading and your team is constantly looking to you to re-enroll them, there will absolutely be a point in time. If you're truly leading beyond where you've been before, if you're truly leading in uncertain times, as we've established is all the moments, then there'll become a point when you'll say, oh, was this the right move? And you get to be really clear with yourself. Because this is where I see companies pull back. This is where I see them say, "Mm, maybe we don't have what it takes to go into this market. Or they collect evidence as to why this isn't going to work. Now, does it ever make sense that if you're leading a disruptive market and you get evidence that says, oh, this isn't going to work, that you do turn the other way? You create a new strategy and ebb and flow? Sure. But most of the time, what I see happen is we pull back because it got really hard. And what I know is just like when you're running a marathon, that last 0.2 miles is the hardest. The same thing when you're leading the disruption. That's when everything shows up that's really, really challenging right at the end. It's life's way of saying, ha, you're really going to do this? Really going to make this happen? Because you get to push forward. You get to move forward knowing that leading in a disruptive market, that this is what's going to happen, that you're going to be challenged, that you're going to question yourself. What I recommend is that you surround yourself with other disruptors because they know that feeling. If you surround yourself by people that want to play it safe and that want to keep you safe, like oftentimes as parents, I mean, I'm a parent. I want to keep my kids safe. I also want them to stretch and grow, but I want them to be safe. So if they come to me and say, hey, mom, I want to skydive out of a plane, my natural reaction is going to be like, Ooh, I mean, that sounds fun. And uh, my oldest, he's 13. Like, you're 13. I don't even think it's legal yet. But if he came to me, that would be my first reaction. Is it even legal? Is it safe? Because my desire is to keep him safe. In a disruptive market, putting yourself out there, being vulnerable, <coughs> excuse me, that's not safe. That is risky. 
That is the equivalent to walking naked down the street and hoping no one's going to comment. And so you get to think about the people that are surrounding you. If you're around other disruptors, they're going to know what that feels like and they will support you in moving forward because yes, it's uncomfortable, but they've been there. They know that it's uncomfortable and they've got you. But if you surround yourself by people that play it safe, that don't really know what it's like to risk, they don't get it and they want to keep you safe. And so they're going to recommend that you pull back. Now, if those are the only voices that you're hearing, what are you going to do? You're going to pull back. And so think about the people that are around you. Now we've got another segment where they don't even put anybody around you. They're isolated. It's not that there really aren't people around you. It's that who are we going to talk to? If you're leading a company, people are looking to you to know where to go or when to go or where, how to go. Are you going to open up to those people and share that you're really struggling with, do we move forward or not? Maybe, maybe not. My encouraged, my invitation to you is to surround yourself with people that understand disruption, that understand the changes in the marketplace, because that is going to be so important to you when you're moving forward to have that person on speed dial and say, hey, whew, today was a rough day. I don't know. I don't know where I'm headed. I only know my vision. And that person, whoever's answering on the other line, gets to remind you of your vision and ask you if you're still locked in on it. That's their role. And you get to have that person in your life. And if that person's not around you right now, you get to get some new friends. Get an advisor. Last week, we talked all about being an advisor. So get an advisor. I'm an advisor. Call me. My email is Kathleen at KathleenReason.com. If this is something that you're struggling with, reach out. Because there actually are people around you that can support you. And it's really important that if you are going to lead in a disruptive market, that you have that around you. Because believe me, there will be a time when you'll start to question yourself. Your team needs your confidence. Your team needs your follow through. And so you get to make sure that that's there with you. That's what it requires to lead through a disruptive market. So we've covered the first two steps. We have two more, but we're going to go on a quick break. When we get back, we'll cover those last two steps. You're listening to the Kathleen Reeson Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. Talk to you in just a second. Are you enjoying the conversations on the Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. How wonderful would it be to carry your favorite Inspired Choices Network host with you throughout your day? Well, now you can. Inspired Choices Network now has its very own mobile app. Our free app offers live streaming shows, along with thousands of podcasts and TV episodes. Our shows cover a wide variety of topics. Whether you're waking up with us, carrying us through the day, and taking us to bed with you, we're always here for you to enjoy. We're easy to find. Just search for Inspired Choices Network in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reason Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. Now, back to the program. 
Welcome back to the Kathleen Recent Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. We've been talking today about what it takes to lead in a disruptive market. We've covered the four-step process, the first two of them so far. The first one is crafting your vision, making sure that it's intention-focused and using pain-based problem-solving. Step two, step two is to enroll others in your vision. So articulate it clearly. Step three, here's the new one I'm going to introduce to you. Step three is about executing on that vision. It means that moving forward, now you're pulling in the tactics. You're saying, no, how are we going to do this? The mechanism, the grainy pieces. This is the piece that the tools change. They always change. They will always evolve. Just like in the world of advertising and marketing, we didn't have digital advertising 25 years ago. It was not a tool in our toolbox, but today it is. Just like Netflix didn't have the subscriber base, they didn't have the production studios. That was not a tool in their toolbox 25 years ago. Because as a company, gosh, I don't even think they're 25 years old. I don't know what their origination date is, but I, I guess it's like 15 years old. So you look at these companies, Blockbuster 25 years ago, if you sat in a strategy meeting for Blockbuster 25 years ago, that'd be a pretty fun meeting to sit in. When I was in college, I have double major in advertising and accounting. My senior year of college was when Arthur Anderson was crumbling. It's when the whole scandal with Enron happened. Now, if you look at my junior year of college, we talked about the big five accounting firms. Arthur Anderson was one of them. There were people that were just a year older than me that went to work for Arthur Anderson. And here I am, a senior that fall when all of this is is, is just uncovered about Enron and what's happening. And my friends that had chosen Arthur Anderson to work at, they were being let go because this company, this behemoth was falling down right before their eyes. Now there is no amount of strategy that can take care of that problem because there was corruption within the company. It's a really cool story. I mean, cool as in it's interesting. I mean, tons to learn from. Not cool as in, wow, I would, have lead to love that. I would have loved to lead that company. No, not at all. But really fascinating when you look at how they chose to lead. And so the strategy that I would have laid out 30 years ago would have very different mechanisms so that the process to how we're going to execute than it does today. Because you've got companies that 30 years ago, they didn't even exist. Now they exist today. Look at Lego. I mean, I find Lego, the, the brand, so fascinating. I got a million Legos up in the upstairs of my house. I actually step on them every night. It's like a, like a torch walk. You've ever seen fire walks where you got to walk over the fire and not have your heels hurt? You know, not burn your feet? I feel that way when I go to say goodnight to my kids every night because as I walk to their beds, it's like, ooh, ah, ooh, ooh, hope I didn't squish it. But what's happened with Legos, if you looked at how Legos were used 20 years ago, Legos were used predominantly in a big bucket. And the buckets, we would then use our imagination to create figures or to create displays that we could destroy and do it and build more. But that's how Legos were used. And then Lego got into branding and co-partnerships, co-branding with other movies or other brands. And what happened is they came out with these series of Legos. So Hogwarts, Harry Potter, the Harry Potter Lego series, we have almost all of the books 
So they're called books, but they're really, when you open them up, it's a Lego scene. So there's one of the castle, there's the train, there's the science room, there's transfiguration room. So there's all kinds of different books. But again, they're not real books. I told one of my kids the other day, hey, let's go get a book at the bookstore. They were so excited, but they outsmarted me. What happened when we got to the bookstore? They said, okay, I figured out the book that I wanted. And they come up with one of these Harry Potter Lego books. I said, what do you mean? I, I, we weren't talking about Lego set. I said, we we're going to get a book. Because it says right here on the box, book. And I realized, oh, he totally, totally outsmarted me. I set a vision too wide. <laughs> I met a book that we could read. And he, even that, he would have said, but the instruction booklet, look how big it is, mom. I said, oh, touche. Now, we did get that because I thought that was pretty clever of him. <laughs> I was really impressed with how he presented that. But I really thought about, whoa, where did I miss the mark there? Because what I meant was a book <laughs> that had lots of pages and that had a storyline all throughout it and that it would be like 200 or 300 pages and it would be maybe hours of reading. <laughs> it was not the case. That was not what he chose. So execution varies over time. Execution will change depending on the circumstances within the market. As your tools grow, your execution will change. So oftentimes execution takes a lot longer than strategy. Strategy could be set, but then in maybe let's just say, I don't know, a couple of days, a month, two months, three months, depends on how long, what we want to achieve. But the execution could take years. And the thing about that is that we are constantly getting measurements during our execution phase to say, all right, if we were pointed in this direction, do we need to move a little bit to the other side or move to the other side or move to the other side? Because in execution, we're constantly shifting. Because what we set in strategy, like it is wonderful if we got the strategy absolutely correct. But the reality is something, the market forces are changing so significantly that we've got to be wide enough that we can move and we can, we can be flowing. We cannot be rigid with the execution of strategy because if we're rigid, we'll miss the mark. Rigid means like, let's just say I got in my car and I said, we're going to go on vacation and I want to end up in Kansas City. Now, Kansas City is a three-hour drive. I'm actually driving there at the end of the week. So it'll take me about three hours to get there. But what happens if an hour into my drive, there's a road closure? That's not what my plan was. That's not how I intended to get there. Do I sit at the road closure until it opens up and completely miss the Kansas City experience? Because what if that road closure is for a month? I'm going to a baseball game on Friday night. My friend Jesse Cole, who was on this show last fall, he runs the Savannah Bananas. They're coming to Kansas City to play. I'm going to watch Banana Ball. I'm very excited. I'm going to leave here at 3 o'clock because my kids, they're in school. It takes me three hours to get down there. The show is at 7, but there's a pregame, and I want to be in the parking lot by 6 o'clock. So what happens if 4 o'clock I come up and there's a road closure, but the road isn't going to open until Monday? Do I sit there and wait? Now, this seems like an extreme example, but actually it's not. In the world of business, there are plenty of examples that I could point to where we'll say, nope, that's cool. I'll just wait till Monday. When in fact, it's all relative, which means that three-day wait, I totally missed the game. By the time I get to Kansas City, by the time the road opens up and I can go that way, the game is over. I have missed it. In fact, it's time to come back. Might as well not even go. But yet, that's what we happen sometimes with strategy. We are so focused on how it's got to be done and in this way that we miss that, guess what? 
there was a detour. And if we were just willing to go a quarter of a mile out of our way, we could get back on that same road and make it. And in fact, it really won't even put us that far behind. We could still get to Kansas City by six o'clock. Now, how many times in your business has this happened? Where we think we're attached. This is how it was supposed to look. But then something happens and it's not looking how we thought it would. So we pack our bags and go home. We get frustrated. We throw our hands up and say it didn't work. Instead of figuring out the detour, the workaround so that we continue forward. This happens a lot. I see it all the time. And so on step three, execute, it's really about being flowing and flexible. This is the time where you're going to lose enrollment of other people on your vision. So make sure that in step three, you're constantly enrolling other enrolling people in the vision. You're reminding them of why you started and where you're headed. You also get to remind yourself of why you started and where you're headed. That's step three. Now, step four, this one's my favorite. Because oftentimes when we get to the end, the crafting the new vision, getting to the end of that vision, we're not done. Because there's always more. I have a mentor who says tomorrow is a much, much bigger day. So step four is crafting a new vision. So you can see steps one through three, and then four takes you back up to one. One through three, four takes you back up to one. One through three, four takes you back up to one. And that is how you lead in a disruptive market. You go through this path, number one through three. Remember, number three is about executing on the strategy. Execution. Then step four is about recasting the vision. Number three, execute. Number four, recast that vision. Number four takes you back up to one, setting the vision. Two, getting the buy-in. Number three, executing. And number four, number four, crafting the new vision. So that is how we cycle through our strategy setting and the process to disrupting the market. Things are going to come up in this process. Absolutely. I've seen it a million times. Seen it in my businesses. And we get to make the decision, are we holding forward in that vision? And that's where I say, make sure you're surrounded by people around you. Make sure you surround yourself with people that are disruptors. It's very important because if you want to lead in a disruptive market, you got to be around other people that are disruptive. Now, there are some traps like being isolated. We've talked about, but there's a couple others that I want to talk about. One is frustration. We want to win. Inherently, as humans, we want to win. Some of us are wired to think that we can't win, but we want to win. And when we're not winning, it can be very hard. That's where depression sets in. I've got uh, multiple clients actually right now who have come to me recently and have been in this space of isolation. They have been disrupting for so long because what we saw, I mean, companies were already disrupting. I believe that if you're in a company, you're, you're constantly in a, a disruptive environment. If you're not, as we said earlier, if you're not disrupting, you're losing. And so because the pace of disruption is so much greater, we've carried it for the last few years. But as a society, during that time, we've isolated ourselves. Now we're getting back into social interactions. And what we're finding is that there's some hesitancy to open up. And so what I know to be true is that as human beings, when we have that isolation, we tend to turn 
to numbing mechanisms to not feel the, the pain or the isolation. And so the rate of executives that are having challenges with alcoholism or uh, suicidal thoughts, extreme depression, it's off the charts right now. I mean, it was, it was pretty high pre-pandemic, but it's even higher now. Like I said, I've had multiple executives come to me in the last few months with some real, real challenges in this area. And I honor them. There is no judgment. And what I hear them saying is, hey, we've been through a lot. And the pace isn't changing, but I realize I get to be okay moving through these uncertainties, knowing that they exist and leading. And some people are saying, I don't know that I want to be the main leader anymore. And we get to be clear about that. But again, there's no shame or guilt or blame or any of that. But I think we get to normalize the conversation around this because it's almost like a uh, fear. I don't want to tell people that I'm having these challenges, but yet there are lots of executives in the same boat. That if we, if we are leading in a disruptive space, it's really, really challenging. And it can be frustrating. It can be isolating. It can be sad. And all those feelings, they're going to happen. But what I want you to hear is that it's okay. And there is no guilt. There is no shame. There is no fault. There is no blame. And we'll go back to that. Surround yourself with other people that are disrupting that can know that feeling. Because there's absolutely support out there. You just get to be a yes to it. We're going to want a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to wrap all of this up. You're listening to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. Talk to you in just a second. Are you enjoying the conversations on the Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. We've been talking all today about leading in a disruptive marketplace. How to do that. And so we walked through the four steps, which is crafting your vision, step one. Step two, enrolling others in your vision. Step three, executing on your vision. And step four, recasting your vision. These are also very important. And I want to emphasize that communication is key to all of this. When you have a strategy, the more you communicate, the better your team will be able to latch on to what you're saying. Communication is key. Now, I want to share an example of communication that happened to me this weekend. We went to uh, my cousin, so Daniel Martin. Hi, Daniel. He is the tour manager for Mercy Me. Mercy Me is a phenomenal Christian, I mean, just a rock band, but Christian rock band. They have done just, they have such an incredible story in the mainstream music area and also in the Christian music area. So I find it fascinating and intriguing how they have sustained themselves, one, for over 28 years, but two, in both worlds, both mainstream and Christian. So 
that in and of itself is a really cool story. They treat themselves like a business, but they're also very humble. One of the things that they do during their shows is that they have Christian or Children's International, the organization that supports children in Haiti, or well, children all over the world that are in need, and they support them with sponsors from the United States. So they come, this, this man and his family, they are the lead, they travel with Mercy Me, and at the concerts, you can sponsor a child. And so they are, he, this man, he's up communicating. He's done such a beautiful job sharing his story, his daughters with him. It was such a great experience. And it says, who wants to sponsor a child? Raise your hand. Now, my 13-year-old is next to me and he's pushing my hand up. Mom, we got to do this. Can we sponsor a child? And I look to my husband and we're like, yeah, okay, that's fine. And so I said, why don't you raise your hand? I don't, you, you can raise your hand for this this uh, flyer that that's what you fill out then to sponsor this child. And I looked to my 11 year old and he is mortified. I mean, mortified. His, the look in his eyes is pure terror. He's saying, no, mom, no, I don't want to do this. Don't do this. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. And so my oldest, he continues on. He gets this pamphlet for this girl. She's, her name's Olivia and she lives in Zambia and we fill out the paperwork and we take it to the back. And so we're officially going to sponsor this girl. And I come back and I sit down with my 11-year-old. And I said, what? what is going on? And he goes, mom, I don't want to sponsor this girl. And I got to thinking about why he would be in such fear around this. And I realized that the vision that had been set from the stage, he said, there are 400 kids that are waiting for you to come and be blessed. And in his mind, he was thinking that this girl was coming to live with us at our house. When I saw that, I thought, oh, okay, wow, yeah, nobody, we're not adopting this girl, we're sponsoring this girl. But he doesn't know the difference. He hadn't learned the vernacular. He didn't understand that it meant that we would send money to be able to support her, but she's not our daughter. She's not coming to live with us. We're just supporting her parents in getting them some of the resources that they require in order to be a fully functioning family. Now that, just a little, little key difference in verbiage, but it made all the difference in his mind. And it got me thinking about when we craft our visions, how often do we think we're being really clear but there's somebody else that hears it a different way. And they are thinking, no, 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 I'm not getting on that boat. No way I'm getting involved there. And it's not because they don't believe in it. Once I told, once I told my 11 year old, Hey buddy, we are not bringing her home. We're just sending money. He was fine with it. Oh, cool. Whatever. But in his mind, he was hung up about somebody coming to live with us in his mind. Shouldn't we have a conversation about this first? In his mind, how could my mom and dad just decide this without even thinking about how it would impact me? Now, how often have you set a vision and all the words that you've used haven't landed with your audience? Yeah. And so the key here is that it's always going to happen that way. It's always somebody else is going to hear your words differently than how you want them to be heard. So we can't. We can't use the words that 
everybody's going to hear all the time. We get to be conscientious that there are people that will hear our words differently than how we intended, especially when we're speaking to a mass audience. And so knowing that that's the case, knowing that that's out there, then we get to be cognizant of what are some of the concerns. Like I noticed it in my 11-year-old, the fear on his face. But if you look around when you're casting your vision, you know what you want to see and hear. And when you hear something different than that, it's not that they don't want to buy into your vision. It's possible that they don't understand, that they've got questions. And so being in curiosity and understanding what their viewpoint is so that you can see if there's a gap that maybe is very easy to fill. Like, for example, with my son, it was just understanding the difference between sponsor and adoption. Beautiful. And now going forward, I get to share that feedback so that next time, maybe there's a word that they say differently. So that everyone in the audience gets that. Because if my 11-year-old is thinking that, somebody else was thinking that too. Somebody else was thinking that too. Yes, he's young, but I guarantee you someone else in that audience was thinking that they were asking to adopt these kids. Total difference. Yeah, hear that. For sure. So I'm going to share with you next week. We've got an even better show. I'm so excited. My friend, Evram Osmond, is going to come on the show. She leads a leadership training and transformation center out in the United Kingdom. And she's going to come on here. And we are talking about leading people you don't like. Now, I know we're supposed to like everybody. And, and we should be able to lead people no matter what. But we could shut ourselves to death. And at the end of the day, there are people in this world that agonize us, that trigger us. And so what we're going to talk about with my friend Evram is what do you do? How do you lead someone that you don't like? So she's going to use the tools that they use right in her transformation center to teach us, guide us, and show us what we do with people that we don't like, how we can still support them and love them and be in a productive environment with them, even when we can't stand some of their behaviors. So it's going to be a really powerful show. I'm super excited to hear what she has to say and what we can learn, because there's something for you, something for me, and we can all grow. Now, I come here every single Monday with topics that are relevant to executives about how we can lead. So if there's a topic that you want to hear, let me know. My role is to be an executive advisor in this world. If you could use one, let me know. My email is Kathleen at KathleenReason.com. Remember today, four steps. Number one, craft your vision. Number two, enroll people in the vision. Number three, execute on that vision. Number four, craft a new vision. When you do all of that, you can lead in a disruptive environment. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you next Monday. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. Kathleen Reeson will return next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 10 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Mountain, and 8 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Have a great week.